You're listening to Escaping the Rat Race. I'm your host, Amy Leo, a singer, songwriter, and mental health educator. And our show is all about questioning the status quo and pushing the boundaries into what's possible for human beings and not probable. So tune in and get ready to escape the rat race, not only the monotonous nine to five work grind, but also that incessant internal mental chatter that prevents most of us humans from experiencing more joy, peace, clarity, and freedom. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Depending on wherever you are in the world today, I am actually finally in my home country for a few weeks. I'm actually spending time at my childhood home, and the sun is peeking beautifully through the forests. And being home, I've really been reflecting on growing up and what my experience was. And the title of Dr. Jack Pransky's book, Somebody Should Have Told Us, has has entered my mind. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. There are three facets of life that I wish I knew growing up, especially through the teenage years. And what I find now is that the knowledge that I do now have about how human experience and how the neuroscience works of being human has absolutely transformed my life and the way I relate to myself and others in such a profound way that words really don't even do it justice. So let's get into today's show. I want to start with a quote from Sydney Banks because this, as I watch my loved ones and friends, this seems so true to me. And the quote goes like this If the only thing people learned was to not be afraid of their experience, that alone would change the world. And that is from Sydney Banks. So as I think about what do I wish I was told, the first one really clearly is exactly lined with that quote. The fact that I don't have to be so afraid of my emotions. And subtly underneath that, the knowledge that I don't have to take emotions so seriously. This may fly in the face of what you as well were taught where in a Western culture like the United States, emotions are either looked at as something that should be caged up, right? We classify certain emotions like anger, fear, insecurity, sadness, righteousness, and rudeness, right? Those kind of uh, judgmental emotions, often those are looked at as being unfavorable or negative or that someone is not as professional if they get emotional or they're not as strong of a human being. We have a lot of these cultural ideas loaded around emotions. But let's take a look at what emotions really are, right? Emotions are fleeting. They're constantly changing bubbles of energy that come through in different ways in different people at different times. And then we categorize those experiences 
or those actions that people take from that feeling that they have in their body as emotions. But at the core, emotions just are. They're literally just an expression of how we're relating to the world in any given moment. So if they are just bundles of energy, so they're not actually tangible, they're not fixed, if they really are constantly changing and fluid, especially, I have noticed this, that when I don't get in there and try to control, manipulate, stop, suppress, or express my emotions, in the absence of thinking that emotions are important and that I have to do something with them, they move so beautifully through me and through my experience. What's more is, again, emotions themselves are actually very neutral. But we as a culture, as individuals, we can't but help <laughs> make meaning out of everything in our lives. So we make meaning about our emotions. Our brain tricks us in such a subtle way where it tries to convince us, and it is very convincing sometimes, don't get me wrong, but it convinces us that when we are in a certain state, especially a low state of mind or low-level emotions, if we just want to use that as an example, the brain will trick us into thinking that there's something there for us, that it means something, that it means something about who we are, Again, are we a strong person? Are we a weak person? The brain tricks us into believing that it means something about our future. So if I'm feeling really insecure or fearful about a certain project, my brain, I can mistake that that means don't do it, right? It's scary. But all of that is a made-up meaning that's, a, that's adding, it's it's supplementary to the fact that you have emotions. So when you strip away the opinions and the thinking about your emotions and the meaning making about your emotions, what you're left with is just having a human experience. And it can be a much softer, kinder human experience, even in the throes of quote-unquote negative emotions. Because there isn't a judgment there. You aren't kind of adding fuel to the fire, per se. So then that fire just dies out and transforms. The second thing that I wish somebody would have told me when I was younger and growing up, especially, like I said, through the teen years, is we've talked about the fleeting nature of emotions and our tendency to make mountains out of molehills to really assign a lot of meaning and importance to our emotions. And we do this in so many ways, whether we try to avoid them or suppress them. We'll go to any, we'll go to any length to do that. Drugs, sex, gambling, repression. I mean, we, we will go to such extreme lengths to not feel our emotions. And then you have people on the other side of that that go to such lengths to always express their emotions. So then they're always projecting outward and telling people how they feel and so-and-so made me feel that way. But those are two 
sides of the same coin. So I just want to make that really clear. But let's go into to part two. So again, where do emotions come from? We are taught that emotions, our feeling state, we are taught that that comes from outside of us, that it comes from our annoying boss or our ex or our parents or our siblings. We're taught that it comes from circumstances such as getting the job or not getting the job, being uh, having 20000 in the bank or being 30000 in debt. We're told that those circumstances directly impact how we feel in our emotions. But if we take a closer look at that, we can see that that's not true. Because it is not a one-to-one relationship for every human being between a circumstance and a feeling state. You have a hundred people that experience the same circumstance, like traffic, for instance. You really have a hundred people that are feeling completely differently. So it isn't the traffic, it isn't the circumstance that's causing that. I know many people in my life who would get what you call road rage. I and other people I know don't experience road rage at all. So what's going on here? This is really pointing us towards the truth, which I think everyone really does know. And the truth is that emotions come from the inside out. They're generated within our own biochemistry. Now, remember that in this show today, we are not saying that certain emotions are bad or negative or that if someone experiences a lot of emotion that they're weak or there's something wrong with them or they're mentally ill, okay? If we lift that paradigm, then we don't even need to have a blame conversation. And what we can really all see for ourselves is that none of us are victims. Now, of course, there are very difficult, unfavorable circumstances that happen to human beings. I don't know anyone that gets out of some kind of circumstance. But the truth is we are not victims to that. We are not victims to people outside of us. Because where emotions come from is really irrelevant to the conversation we're having about them. So often in psychology, for instance, we'll talk about triggers And that triggers are what cause our emotions. I did this with uh, the kids when I worked in social work. We listed out triggers that the kids have. We identified them. And then we created coping skills. Now go back to the first part of today's show. Doesn't it seem like we're really adding a lot of layers of meaning and importance to emotions? Doesn't it seem by this inquiry that then it would really support us in getting stuck and getting fearful and getting judgmental about ourselves and others if we experience certain emotions. It seems like this is a really frivolous effort because I don't know a human being that doesn't experience a range of emotions. That's built into the human experience, into the human system. We are not static. We are not robots. So let's ease up on ourselves and other people. We're creating a lot of unnecessary stress, judgment, fear, 
all because of a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of the subject of emotions, of what somebody should have told us, that somebody should have told us the truth about how emotions work, or at least point us in a direction that's a little more scientific than our own subjective opinions of what causes feeling and et cetera, et cetera. The third thing I want to talk about on this subject of what I wish somebody should have told me, especially as it relates to being human and our emotions, and this one's huge, is that the beliefs of other people and even the beliefs I have myself are not real And what I mean by that is they are not objectively, absolutely true. I think there's a tendency that when we feel something strongly, we tend to believe that it is even more true than our other beliefs where we don't have a lot of emotional charge. But beliefs are just thoughts, rules about living, are just thoughts. Cultural norms are just thoughts. The list of what you think you need or should do and the list of what you think you need to avoid is absolutely subjective and unique to you. And the truth is it's not absolutely true. Again, you can find examples. That's one thing I love about this show is that we always share in Amy's real story. Why I do that is because I like to slowly put cracks, plant seeds into folks' worldviews of what they think human beings can or can't do. When your brain starts collecting enough evidence that you start to be more aware and a little more onto yourself that, hey, What I think right now is very simply the accumulation of beliefs that I inherited in my childhood and beliefs and thoughts I inherited from my own experience. You start to see that although your experience happened, you start to see that the past and your memories are actually just thought in the moment. So even when you look back at how you did things before, you are not looking back in a perfect, concrete way. It's like we like to think that our brains are these excellent, high-definition video cameras. But the truth is they are not. Anything we experience in a moment, whether it's a current moment we're focusing on or a past memory or even a future scenario, all of that is the result of an extremely elaborate special effects system. Nothing more. I know this can be hard for people to see because of the fact what we think or what we believe, we experience in our body, we have sensations that are real, absolutely. But what isn't real, or what isn't true, rather, 
is our interpretation. Our interpretation is never absolutely true. And what I find is that people that are very opinionated or very judgmental, they really, and I think we all do this to an extent, they all really believe that their way of experiencing the world, of thinking about the world, is absolutely the only way that it is true. And that's why people, when they get really righteous and really opinionated and really judgmental, you see that they have to always defend their position. They have to always debate. They've got to prove themselves. But, but, but they're missing the boat. They're really missing the fundamentals of how experience happens. And they're looking at things that, hmm, they're, they're looking for security, for consistency in things that can never be secure or consistent. Namely, someone's thinking and feeling system. Someone's emotions are always changing. And if you start to get a little more awareness of your own experience, you start to see, hey, <laughs> you know, my beliefs change actually quite a bit. And sometimes they change really quickly. I can give an example from my own life. This is kind of a, a powerful example. It was drastic. It was, it was life-changing. But, but this happens to all of us on a much smaller level every day too. So start to kind of look in and, and get curious about this. So the one story I wanted to share was I was a gal that... Well, I would call myself practical and independent, right? All these really loaded adjectives. And I didn't really want to get married anytime soon. I didn't really want to start a family. I was really career oriented, et cetera. And then I met my sweetheart this year. All of that thinking, all of that belief system that I had that, for instance, for me to be independent, I need to be on my own. Or for me to be a strong woman, I need to, and career focused, I need to not focus on having kids, et cetera, right? All of those, those links that we make up, we make those up. Our brain is creating a relationship that X equals Y with very biased evidence. <laughs> so it's not objective at all. You're the one that whatever you believe, whatever you think to be true, whatever beliefs and thoughts that are rooted in your experience, you have, you've made them up unconsciously. Your brain has created those connections. But here's the thing about that. When you believe something really strongly, what happens is that your brain, your, in your experience, your brain will try to gather information that further supports your cause. And if there are things in life that go against what you believe that prove it wrong, your brain casually ignores those things or writes them off that they're the exception rather than the rule. It's almost like, um, <laughs> I think of like these, <laughs> these medical studies, these research studies that are done, but they're really backed by a corporation a huge corporation, like for instance, a drug corporation. Well, that's not objective by any means. You know, if the drug company really wants this drug to have this effect and not this side effect, don't you think that that affects 
what kind of research they do, the scientists that they choose, the participant bias that they have, because by the nature of having an experiment, you're going to have a group of some people you're testing, but it will leave out other entire groups of human beings. And further than that, what's also amazing is we are all individualized. So even categorizing us by groups such as gender, socioeconomic status, race, that's also largely irrelevant because we are individual. I think it's so fascinating how we, we create these shortcuts and we group up, for instance, people as a certain way. We group ourselves and put ourselves into a uh, a box, basically. We pigeonhole ourselves and we say things like, well, that's just how I am and that's my personality. And, and that isn't objectively true. You're pointing to past experience for why you are the way you are, but it actually has no relevance in that actual moment. Are you doing that behavior in that actual moment? Right? If you say you're someone that always procrastinates, but you're talking with me in a session, are you actually procrastinating at that moment? No, you're having a conversation, you're in action, you're in the world. If you think that you are always a fearful person, that you're a nervous Nelly, well, what about all the things you aren't afraid of? You know, are you afraid of books? Are you afraid of shoes? Of course not. Again, it, it points to this amazing power of the mind to focus in on one area and get really stuck on it and really fixated and make one area of your life really important. And what I've seen, just to tie this up, because we are running short on time for today, but what I've seen is that as a culture, and at least in my own experience growing up, there was always the unsaid beliefs, unsaid cultural rules that put some kind of importance on emotions that emotions were something that I needed to control or that emotions are the result of triggers in the outside environment. But none of that's absolutely true. It's only true if we believe it's true. It's really that simple. Because where do emotions come from, really? They come from thinking in a given moment, conscious or unconscious. Emotions come from our own biochemistry interacting with, ener with energy in a moment. It's another way to say it. But it's always happening from the inside out. No person, a place certainly couldn't do it, or a thing couldn't do it, could ever get into my body, into my soul, manipulate my brain chemistry, manipulate my physiology. No one can do that. That's not possible. I'm a closed vessel of flesh and energy. Okay. So I think that'll about do it for today. This idea, again, that the beliefs of other people, or even myself, the beliefs I have myself, that they are not objectively true. What that has meant for me in my life 
is that I do not need to take my thinking seriously. That is immensely, immensely helpful, especially when I'm in an emotional state of mind where my brain just wants to run with what's going on and catastrophize and make me feel hopeless as if things will never change. The thing is, I know that that is absolutely not true. I'm going to leave you with this. We cannot actually experience life in an objective way. What I mean by that is think about the human body and brain. We're a physical entity, therefore we are a barrier to things going on in the real world. Another way to think about this is I like to think of it as we are a filter. So if you think of like a a person, let's put a stick figure, let's think of a stick figure, and then you see a whole bunch of things coming on and going on around them. A whole spectrum of light, for instance, that's going on around them. That person can only internalize one or two beams of that spectrum of light at any given moment. So you are always a filter for experience. By that nature, you will always be biased in what you think. And how that relates to what I wish somebody should have told us is that not only do I not have to take my own self seriously or make meaning out of emotion or thinking or beliefs, but I don't have to take the opinions of other people seriously. I don't have to take other people's worldviews of how it is or other people's fearful thinking or other people's advice of telling me what I should or shouldn't do. I don't have to do that. In fact, when I do that without checking in with myself first and I blindly follow the advice of culture or of other people, I suffer. And I bet in your own life, you can have this experience as a memory as well, times where you have suffered from taking the advice of other people or doing what your parents wanted you to do or your spouse wanted you to do without checking in with yourself and seeing, is this something that feels wise to me? Is this something that resonates truly with who I am and where I want to go? When you don't check in that way, we all suffer. And I'm just going to leave it on this note, on a positive note, that the fact of the matter is every human being has access to their own intelligence, their own wisdom, their own common sense. People can access what is right for them. That is always on offer. It is always there. There's always a guiding GPS system for every single human being on this planet. Unfortunately, it can get covered up by the layers of busy thinking and rules and beliefs that we all, from time to time, mistakenly take to be true. I want to leave you with this question for today. Write it down, talk about it in the car, reflect internally, however you want to answer this. But here's my question for today. Who could you be and what could you do 
if you didn't take your thinking and the thinking and beliefs of other people seriously? What if the beliefs of other people, the rules they've made up for how you should live, were completely made up that you knew they were fake? What could you do? Who would you be and what would you do? I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at amy at amyleo.com and then I can give you access to our Facebook group where you can really dive into this conversation and see the individual wisdom of different people and how that shows up when answering this question. And now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show every week. Kelly, cue the music. It's Amy's real story of today. Okay, this is actually a real story that I learned about speaking with my mother this weekend, and here it is. Man sees again after 15 years of being blind. Okay, let's let's repeat this one. So a man regains his vision. He can see again after 15 years of being blind. So the man's name is George Salpieto. And he lost his vision around the age of 39. He then, with the assistance of the Lions Club, got a seeing eye dog. And even though he felt depressed in the beginning, as he relates from entries I've seen authored by him. Here's the kicker. His thinking about his newfound blindness changed. So George, just like we've talked about today, went through and experienced, I imagine, a plethora of emotions. But he became hopeful. He began doing things that would help him in a practical way, and he adapted his lifestyle when he was blind. And imagine the joy of then experiencing sight again, getting that gift again of sight in his life. Imagine that journey. This shows that nothing is fixed or permanent, not even physical experiences like blindness, even those have the potential to transform and change. And that is incredible. That is so incredible and inspiring and exciting to me. I'm going to read a little, a little piece from something that I saw that George wrote online. And it says, since the loss of my sight, I guess the thing I've been looking for most is the person I once was. In the writing of this story, I realized that I am still me, George, the same person I have always been, with just one exception. I can't see as I once did, but I feel a new vision has replaced my loss of sight. This vision has helped me reprioritize my life with a new appreciation of things that should have been most important to me. Things like my family, my friends, things I never saw with sight, but now I see with a newly found vision. This story is a 
pivotal and excellent example of what we've talked about in today's episode, which is again that internal fire that every human being has, that internal GPS system, that ability to be resilient regardless of difficult circumstances. That is possible. One thing about George's story that I think is so striking is that he wasn't born with a vision problem. He wasn't born blind, so he had lived a decent part of his life with vision, lost his vision completely, and then it returned. If you want to read more about George, I'm going to put some links to some of the stories I've read online about him, and I'm just so grateful to be in a place where things like this really do happen, where there is always potential and possibility for human beings. And what I sincerely hope is that more and more of us, one by one by one, wake up to what somebody should have told us, the fact that our emotions don't need to be taken seriously. We don't need to fear them. Telling us so we can really see for ourselves and explore in our own lives what are emotions anyway and where they actually come from. With that, imagine that there would not be a need then to always prove one's own view of reality, to always prove one's own opinion. Wars would be fewer. Domestic disputes would be fewer relationships in the workplace and at home would not be perfect because everyone's of course got their own reality. Everyone's got their own interpretation, but there would be a common value there of respect, of open-minded listening, of really working to solve problems instead of thinking from the same place that has caused the horrors and the terrible circumstances that are occurring in our world today. Again, my name is Amy Leo from ReviveYourSanity.com. It's that time in the show where I've got to thank my Revive Your Sanity team. Megan Macaron is our resident health coach and advisor. Kelly Monstrud is our podcast producer. Reach out to him if you have any audiovisual needs. He's fantastic. And then we've got Chris Thibbert on our social media. So thank you again. It does take a team to have any vision really come into fruition. So I'm so grateful. And I also just want to remind you the question that was asked today, really give yourself 10, 15, 20 minutes. You're driving in the car, you're alone in your room, whatever you're doing, really think about this. If the opinions of other people and your opinions of yourself, if you knew that they were false, that there were no truth in them, who would you be and what would you do? I look forward to hearing from you again. This is Amy Leo from ReviveYourSanity.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, keep rocking.